Hello and welcome to the next episode of Lost in Criterion. I'm John Patrick Owatari Dorgan, and with me, as always, is a man who regularly hits old men on the head with frying pans. <laughs> I am the Adam Glass, and it's the way of the Lord, man. That's why I became a priest. <laughs> this is like some sort of very, very specific kind of baptism. Yeah, yeah. Baptism by iron. Yeah. Uh, and and thus and God, thus I love this priest. Yeah, the priest is amazing. <laughs> and thus you you have written at least half of George R. R. Martin's next book for him. <laughs> the phrase baptism by iron, it just resonated through the multiverse and like blasted into his brain. <laughs> right, and he's like, right. that's it. That is I've cracked the code. <laughs> right? Right. It'll be the title. We won't be surprised. No, no. I, I, I expect fully. He will not listen to this episode. Let's be clear here. It will not be plagiarism. No, of course not. It just yeah. it was such a most powerful phrase that it, it instantly entered a sort of like universal zeitgeist that now that he is attuned to and he'll just it'll it's happening. Pat, before we get into the movie this week, I want to talk about our Patreon. It's patreon.com slash Criterion. Over there for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going and get access to some bonus content. Oh, yeah. Bonus content. Over there, we do a non-Criterion film every month, and our supporters get to vote on what it's going to be. Uh, we watch a pretty eclectic mix of movies over there because of that. I always put together the list, usually based on something we've watched recently or some sort of popular zeitgeist that I've connected with or... Uh, what's a zeitgeist that only exists in one person's brain? Because that, that's a uh, thing I get Mental illness. Uh, <laughs> I think, let's, can we call it a bugbear? Is that, is that a, I thought is I, that maybe a, a bugaboo? A bugaboo? I don't know what a bugaboo sure. is, but I definitely heard people say it in my youth. Uh, yeah, that seems like regional. It might be. Regional I literally don't, I don't <laughs> so, know. It's one, yeah. every so often, it doesn't happen to me very often, but every so often I encounter a word in my vocabulary that I only heard so long ago as a child that I kind of have a feel for where it fits in a sentence, but I'm not locked in on exactly what it means. It doesn't happen very often, but it does happen once in a while. Yeah, that all makes sense. Um, Yeah, anyway, sometimes I just get an idea in my head and it sticks with me. Well, good (laughs) news, whatever Bugaboo used to mean, it is now the name of a stroller company. Oh, good. Good for them. Uh, I don't think it is good for I'm them. I'm just glad. <laughs> it does sound a little too close to Boogaloo. Uh, well, okay. <laughs> I mean, to be fair, the word Boogaloo also had a meeting prior to right, a bunch right, of right. weird racist That's... assholes. So, you know. Yeah. Uh, and it wasn't a bad meaning either. Um, right, right, right. Oh, yeah. So it is It is a anyway. regional version of bug of Bugbear. I guess they are cool. both different regional variations of words that don't actually really have any meaning but uh yeah the weirdest part of that is i don't remember hearing the word bugbear in my youth either i don't know where i picked that up over okay the so this one is life, not but... not neither of us is in anywhere near it is an imaginary object of fear or something that causes fear or distress out of proportion to its importance cool so we're both wrong uh yeah that's not how e i use the word bugbear when I... those kind of things 
yeah, 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 boogeyman sort of thing. No, uh, I use the word bugbear to to mean just something st- like you're obsessed with, like a, a small. Well, I think probably the reason you why you and I both ended up in that space is because every so often somebody will call say something like, "Oh, the new Republican bugbear," or like bugaboo or something, which we take yeah, we mentally uh, articulated ourselves as being like a obsession. Because it is an obsession, yeah. but it's an obsession specifically with something used for like fear mongering. That's fair. Anyway, Lost in Criterion, Patreon. <laughs> Let's get back to that. Things. <laughs> Give us money. Do it tomorrow. Yeah. Today, no, for just a dollar a month, you can help keep us going. Get access to those bonus episodes. There are fifty-six bonus episodes. There's so many now. bonus episodes. Yeah, we've been doing it for a while. You could man. like we've, bonus uh... episode once a week for an entire year and never yeah. catch up with us. Yeah. Now, if you listen to yeah, two means... in a week, you're screwed. You're gonna run out. I'm sorry. Like, right, right, right. That doesn't mean over a, over on Patreon. We've we've been running the Patreon for five years. That's uh, that's crazy to me. This website, uh, Lost in Criterion, has taken taken way too long. Pat, we need to uh, we need to start releasing like three episodes a week pick up the so pace. that we can we can get we can get done with this project soon. I mean, to be fair, we should actually at some point we we should do the math and figure out exactly how many we would have to release per week like per week to actually get through the. We're never going to do it because I we both have lives that exist outside yeah, of this. Well, but maybe maybe next week we should just release six hundred episodes and then oh, and then be done and then we'll be we caught up yeah we won't we we actually won't have caught up even if we do six <laughs> just, just, next week <laughs> well that's yeah. like i anyway. feel like that's like that's like one of those funny like i don't know why i mentally do this in my head like but like i any anytime i encounter podcasts that releases more than one a week i feel like it's and then they'd say their number because everybody like lots of people say their episode number in their in their like intro if they're not like a, like, mm-hmm. we don't because like we have a, each one has a specific uh, theme, right? Which is tied to the movie. Right. So we don't have to say the number, but a lot of ones that don't have a specific theme for each week, will say their episode and they're like, oh, well we're on episode 548. And I'm like, yeah, but you're releasing twice a week. That's cheating. You cheated. <laughs> you got the 500 and whatever the easy way. It's not actually, because I wouldn't want to record two of these a week, every week for the rest of eternity. That would be hard. We did that for right. a while, but we had to stop because I couldn't handle we it. We did. <laughs> right. Neither of us could. Our age was starting to show. We were both like, we would get to the end of the episode and both of us like literally were like starting to have that like marathon runner's cough and like, ugh, yeah. like wheezing. One of us Rain's falls broke. out of our chair. Uh, yeah. Anyway, that's why we do the Patreon episodes because there's just so much criteria and we still have to cover. Uh, yeah, it's a and break. recognizing that existential nightmare that we've plugged ourselves into. Hmm. Uh, well, to be fair, we, uh, we did not realize what we were getting ourselves into when we started. They really picked up their pace after true. we started. Right. That is true. That is true. Um, but yeah, we do a non criterion film over there. Like I said, people get to vote on it. If supporters want to suggest a list for a particular movie for us to watch, I'll craft a list around that movie. And usually, if the supporters suggest something, I'll try to get them on our recording. Uh, and we've had some really great conversations uh, with people about movies they love because of that. Yeah, it's a and lot I of fun. It's it. nice to talk to people about movies that isn't that isn't Adam, really, is what I'm saying here. It sounds mean, <laughs> but me, me and Adam talk about movies a lot, and it's really I cool to it, talk though. to somebody else about I movies. Do. I do. I do get it. Um, 
that's all the dollar mark. You get access to the entire back catalog, get to vote. A little above that, $5, we like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to our current $5 supporters, Stephen Goldmeyer, Eric Coronado, Chris Otto, and Andrew Jarrett. A little above that, we do something that I think is pretty dang special. Pat makes a piece of art based on one of the movies we watched recently. I get that printed up on a postcard and write a little personalized thank you note once a month. Mail those off. So if you like bespoke mail. Which we do. Uh, you like, Everybody does. Yeah, and you like, uh, you like very limited release artwork. Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah. It doesn't get much more limited release than this. Uh, yeah. Patreon.com slash Lost and Criterion. Sign up for our $10 and above tier. We also like to thank those folks on air. So thank you so much to our current $10 and above supporters. Adam Speakerman, Tracy McGrath, Patrick Yako, Nina Bajnak, and Jason Westhaver. Thank you. If you do want to see those postcards without committing to that $10 and above, you can head over to redbubble.com. Search for Lost in Criterion there. Uh, you can also buy old postcards if you like as postcards, as greeting cards if you need to write a little bit more, uh, or as stickers, and occasionally when the art works out as buttons. Uh, yeah. It's good times. It's fun. It's cool. I like it. Whether or not you support us on Patreon, whether or not you buy things through the Red Bubble, we're so grateful that you're listening. Thank you so much to all our supporters, and thank you so much to our listeners. This week's episode is the first time in nearly 300 episodes we've had to re-record. And See, we, all, it is, we didn't actually have to tell them this. I know, out, but we, we are. Okay, I'm just, okay. Yeah. No, we 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 do have to explain why it's going to be late. Okay, I guess that's uh, and true. And this one's late because we've had to re-record it. Um, yeah, uh, I turned on my laptop to post this episode, and my laptop immediately turned off and has refused to turn on since. So that means we've lost this one and the next one uh, that were pre-recorded. Fortunately, we weren't that far ahead. Uh, there are times in the past where if my laptop died, we would have lost, like, Two months yeah. worth of episodes. We're gonna, well, you and I are going to have to have a long so. conversation about offsite backup, automated <laughs> right, offsite right, backup. Because right, right. I really don't I want to, this to I happen to... again. Yeah, Rome, uh, Open City, not I as agree. interesting the second time. Still a good movie, <laughs> but it's hard to watch it like two weeks in a row, essentially. Right, right. Um, I think Veronica Voss. We had to re-record because of technical difficulties, and. Uh, Oh, the other one was the other one. The very first ago. re-recording was my fault. A very long time ago, because it's like it's. Oh man! No, that like was my fault. I deleted two it. or twelve. What? I thought no. I deleted. in my memory, and I'm perfectly, I'm perfectly happy for us both to take responsibility. Uh, but in my memory, we had to re-record a night to remember because we were recording multiple episodes yes. that night. And I saved over. No, that was me. I saved over. You it was definitely it. me. Because yeah. if you go back to the old recordings for about like three months after that, you you essentially rib me about it every every recording. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, if you go back to the really old episodes after that, it, there is a there is a running gag of you talking about me not recording over yeah. top of it. <laughs> well, that's. I'm so glad that that. Uh... That's it's, how we started. It is definitely our true. It was very early, and and then and we, yeah. I, if memory serves, we did it. We re-recorded it almost immediately because I instantaneously realized I had like we got like five. Right. No, what happened is we recorded the second episode. We got to the end, and I re and I 
and I didn't realize that it would like if you didn't close Audacity, it wouldn't like change the name. And I just rec- I wrote right. the file right over top of the other one. And as soon as it happened, it was like, Adam, oh no. <laughs> we had to go back and record yeah. and I had to remember. It was terrible. It was a terrible experience. Uh, the second episode of the night, remember, was very good because it just happened and we could just like essentially puppet ourselves. <laughs> right, 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 right. Yeah. Um, this is not Yeah, like it's <laughs> right. Right. We recorded, we recorded this Hopefully. episode two weeks ago. I don't remember anything. Yeah. Don't remember anything. Um, yeah. It's just, I think, perhaps it's fitting that what we're recording this week is Rome Open City. And it's the, the first episode in uh, the Roberto Rossellini War Trilogy box set. And the box set is spine number 500. So how how fitting that, that, that we spine would number five hundred fuck it up and we have to goof do it twice. up? Yeah, <laughs> a thing we've yeah. n- that is a thing as you mentioned that has barely ever happened in our in our esteemed right, history. Right, right. But a thing that yeah. apparently happens to other podcasts all the damn time because the number of times I hear I'll listen to podcasts and I'm like, oh no, our audacity died and we had lost our whole recording and that's why this is like this and I'm like, that's only happened to us like once. Yeah. Now, now yeah. again. Um, <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. The first time, the first one we recorded, night to remember was user error. Uh, Veronica Voss, when we had to record that, it was because Audacity goofed up. Yeah, we've we've uh, had an Audacity like dropping, crash a couple dropping times. audio. Uh, um, yeah. Usually, if Audacity crashes, it's like during the recording, and we managed to recover mm-hmm. somehow. Uh, what dropped because Audacity is pretty good about. Yeah, you know, it's why saving. it's why Audacity's um, like raw files are like a gig and a half. <laughs> right. Oh yeah, they're huge, but they're huge for a reason, uh, and and sometimes that reason is useful. Uh, but yeah, um, but here we are, Rome Open City. As I said, the first episode of the trilogy of war films by Roberto Rossellini. We'll follow this up with Paison and Germany Year Zero. So Rome Open City came out in 1945, and interestingly enough, uh, they started writing this film before the Nazis, the Nazi occupation <laughs> occupation of Rome See, okay. had left. Right. Uh, That's a thing, though, about this. Not to get, like, too into the episode already, but, like, I watched, I actually had a chance to watch some of the features uh, this time because yeah. I I watched the original movie on two times speed because I'd already seen it and I didn't want <laughs> to spend I didn't want to remind four hours of movie yeah. watching today so I I went and watched it on double speed so I had time to watch some of the documentary stuff and I feel like there's enough mythology around this movie now that like the accounts don't all perfectly line up it's like sometimes it sounds like they started writing it in 1944 or whatever then sometimes it sounds like they started filming it in 1944 depending on like whose accounts you're it's very strange so okay uh they did they did start recording it in 44 but after the the allies had taken the city that's what i mean it's like just the way people talk about it like this is just one of those movies that has such a sort of indelible impact on film making everything that like right, the right, result right, is right. like that thing that happens around these kinds of films where like before you know it like things have kind of to a certain extent spun out of control and it's hard to figure out what what things being said are accurate and like what things are just things that people decided to say because it sounds cool or interesting yeah 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 
the background on this is really interesting because this is this is the first time we've seen a uh, Italian neorealist film where it was articulated in a way that I understand Italian neorealism as not just an ideological, right? Yeah, uh, yeah. like manifesto, but a response to the physical yeah, the conditions, material conditions, the material on the conditions. Ground, yeah. <laughs> on well, the and, ground. So, like, yeah, yeah. So, for instance. One reason that this is shot in actual locations is that the Roman film studio uh, didn't exist. Okay, so that's uh, one of the interesting. Okay, so we we talked about this last time and in our previous version of this episode. And one of the things that's in one of the documentary materials that I thought was really interesting is they did eventually secure a studio, but the studio had exactly one room, and so every yes. set existed in that room. And the in the script uh, and like the one of the documentaries, I don't remember which one it is. I think it might be the one for, actually the one for um, um, the next movie for Paisan. But they yeah. they mentioned that the script had to be really, really tight because the location had to be torn apart and re and a new location built there, which means they could never go back. So every shot had to be done in that and then the only things they built were like the dressing room, the Nazi lounge, the and like the interrogation right. room were right. all in the same room. It's the exact same space, and even like the hallway for the interrogation lounge to get there uh, is a forced perspective room because the room wasn't deep enough. So they full on Willy Wonka it to make it so that well, the that... person looks like they're getting further away without actually getting further away, yeah. which is amazing. That makes sense as to why that is the only physical space in the movie that doesn't make sense. Yeah, when, absolutely. <laughs> when we're in it, because yeah, right? they were just like totally constructing it. Yeah, yeah. We ta- yeah, it's like. And it's still even it. It's weird that they didn't even bother to try to figure it out because it doesn't make any sense. But it's like okay, whatever, guys. Like okay, you had to build yeah. it all in one like f- like one living room area essentially. I get it. Yeah, yeah. There was a comment on this movie uh, in one of the bonus features that Rome Open City is so physically set in Rome that any any one from Rome watching it would understand. You know, it's geographically true to Rome. Uh, and they mention it and say that something like, uh, well, they they particularly call out Bicycle Thieves as not being geographically true to Rome. Uh, bicycle Thieves, a scene will start in one neighborhood and end in another neighborhood, even though the scene does not involve passing through right. neighborhoods I or mean... really moving at all, except for walking around a corner or something. Uh, you know. Whereas this one is is very true to Roman geography, um, which is a, which is one of those things that's like really interesting, but also fundamentally kind of irrelevant, right? It's like one of those weird things that <laughs> right, like right, you right, see it about right. New York all the time, right? And you're like, yeah, it's really you can like really feel New York, and like and it's like yeah, but like to anybody who's not from New York, like I could give a flying fuck. I don't actually care. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh. The amount of the amount of movies we've seen in the Criterion Collection over the years, where their biggest claim to fame, uh, as far as like even the Criterion essay going on, is uh, this is uh, one of the finest portraits of Paris. Oh yeah, in this yeah, era, for sure. Yeah, um, <laughs> you know, I remember some of those that, movies where they're like, "Oh yeah, you can really yeah. get a feel for what Paris was circa this time period." And I'm like, "That's cool. I mean, that is a cool thing." 
It doesn't necessarily make right, the movie right. good, but it does. It is a cool thing. Yeah. I I think that also happens to be true that at least one of the ones that we're thinking of is also a good movie, but yeah, yeah. <laughs> like not that's not always right. going to be occasionally. Occasionally, they were also good movies, um, but but yeah. Um, as far as the material co- conditions that led to Italian neorealism, first off, they're getting out of the war, so there is there is the desire of uh, Rossellini and his compatriots to. Uh, to write something real, uh, to write something human. Um, and it seems like apparently according to one of the, yeah, yeah, absolutely. There, that definitely drives some of it. And then also to make like something pretty, apparently intent, intensely anti-fascist at the onset. Right. Right. Not right. that that necessarily yeah. relates to it being quote unquote, a Italian well, neorealism, but yeah. But part of that, part of that I think is like apology on, on Rossellini's part, right? Because he'd been working under uh, yeah, Vittorio yes, Mussolini, yeah. Mussolini's son, who was in charge of the the fascist film industry, um, and that's one of the reasons they end up filming outdoors. Is that Admiral Ellery Stone, who was the Allied commander in charge of the commission determining <laughs> the state of Italian film after the war, basically. Um, he literally said the so-called Italian cinema was invented by fascists and therefore it had to be suppressed full stop. Uh, so like the, the Cinecita, the, the main Roman uh, film studio was converted to a camp for displaced persons. So, uh, you know, they physically did not have access to that right. space. They had a power structure in charge that did not want them to have access to any space, but wasn't seemingly was not actively shutting them down. Um, but was kind of inactively shutting them down because we do get the story of, uh, what's his face? Rod Geiger, uh, the American producer well, of this film. See, that's what I'm confused who, about because like, again, boy, man, I should not watch that. Bonus there's material. so much conflicting because, stuff like, around Geiger. It sounded like in one of the thing, yeah. bonus materials, it was like, oh, he produced only the, he was only responsible for the second film, which is, um, Paisan. That, that maybe he showed up during production on Rome. Yeah. It's really weird. And himself yeah. over the course of that. It's very, it's very strange. So the story goes that, uh, Geiger caught Rossellini and Fellini stealing electricity from a building that uh, housed a GI like dance hall. So like, <laughs> it's the, they're they're stealing electricity for for reasons, uh, and you know not necessarily film related reasons, but probably yeah, film related or or reasons. or at least keeping uh, filmmakers alive reasons. One of the two, right, 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 for feeding themselves reasons, and they're stealing it from the American dance hall. Like this doesn't even need to exist, uh, as far as you know. I mean, materially, yeah, what's going on? Absolutely, in, in definitely Rome doesn't need to exist. <laughs> yeah, so. Uh, so Geiger stumbles out and catches them and is apparently drunk off his ass at the time, but is, he's just some rando as far as anyone, as far as I can yeah, tell. No, it seems like it. And every he's description some, of it works that way. Yeah. And he brings it back to and New York he, in a bag. Right. Gets right, it played in a couple right. theaters or whatever, makes enough money to like fund the next one. It's wild. Yeah. Yeah, so he he convinces them that he's an American film producer. He is not. See, I don't uh, even know. He, I, I don't know. It's sorry. Like, not to keep interrupting, he, but I don't even know if he actually seems he like prov- he actually convinced them. You know what I mean? 
Or was just like, oh, yeah. what, how are we going to get this to America? <laughs> like, he maybe provides them with some physical film because they're shooting on scraps. Like, like Geiger, Geiger steps out drunk and opens up his coat. It's just and scraps just, of, like, of, strips film of, stripping of film stripping. Hey, kids. Hey, guys. What's yeah, a film? That, that he's like, yeah, you know, they're stealing electricity from the U.S. government. And Geiger is maybe stealing film scraps from, like, the signal course May, I to mean, give yeah. to them to film on. Um, that's, that's sort of one story that's suggested. But also... Uh, Fellini in his biography in the 80s just calls Geiger a drunk American who who didn't actually do anything for them. Well, I mean, uh, which, which which led to a lawsuit yeah. uh, from Geiger for defamation. Well, so. I mean, like one way or the other. I mean, I think what seems to be certifiably true is that he did bring it to play in America. Like whether or not yes. he did that with mostly just chutzpah and like convincing random like theaters to play it or not. <laughs> right, one way or the other, right. he got it played in the States somehow. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. It's <laughs> it's crazy that that it's happened. It's really weird. And yeah. So so we've already got that. You know, there's no. It's all natural lighting in Italian neorealism because they couldn't afford lights. It's all locations because the place that they were going to film at uh, was close to them because of the yeah. U.S. government. Um, and you know, there's. Jessica's already doing stuff that would be called Italian neorealism. Um, the Children Are Watching came out before this. Yeah, yeah. Um, I'm trying to remember The Children Are Watching. That's the that's the Is one that the where hyper weirdly ultra- religious one. It's only in a manner. Uh, that is that is the one where uh, basically um, I think the mom has an affair. And like it gets lectured by like a priest or something. Everything end, falls right? apart. Or like that. She might get lectured by a priest. I think she dies Maybe. at the I'm end. I'm trying actually, to remember is what happens. I, I might be but, confusing uh, two different movies too. There's yeah, definitely probably. one movie where like that's like really, really like admonishing. Just in ge- oh, it's is this so? It is incredibly oh, yeah. admonishing. I don't remember if this is the same one, but I don't think it's. I don't think the the character herself gets admonished. Uh, by a priest. Oh, at the I end remember of the this movie, one. Yeah, with the beach and stuff. Yeah, yeah, okay. I, I, I yeah, this, yeah, yeah, yeah. She, uh, yeah, they like go on holiday and she has an affair and and yeah, um, marriage falls apart and the kid, the kid's life ends up pretty bad. Um, yeah. So the whole point of the whole point of Jessica's movie that in fascist Italy, Jessica's making a movie that's sort of subtly anti-fascist. We talked about during the episode. I remember there's like certain scenes you could read as anti-fascist. But ultimately, it's it's very much just reinforcing fascist Catholic right, yeah. well, and like, <laughs> dogma yeah. about the family. And we'll right. we'll see some of the a um, little bit some of that. Like uh, people talk very. We'll talk about this a little bit in Paisan, but like people talk very. There's a lot yeah. of high-minded rhetoric around Paisan, but Paisan has a lot of <laughs> a lot of that a little bit of that stuff going on too. So. Yeah. 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 Uh, Rossellini's relationship to fascist filmmaking. Uh, so, so the Admiral's got a point that all Italian film is fascist film because all Italian film was being made by Vittorio Mussolini. And Vittorio, unlike, say, Hitler or even uh, Stalin at this time, 
But Toro did want Italian film not to just be propaganda films. He wanted it. To, he wanted to rival Hollywood. Of course, that also pretends that what Hollywood doing is not American. It's not American fascism. One hundred percent across yeah. the board. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> you know. Yeah. You don't need to make a movie that uh, that textually says our country is the best and our government system is the only way, <laughs> the only <laughs> viable one. Uh, you can just make movies uh, and release them, and then the subtext is always. But oh, I mean, honestly, by the time we get release this sort near of the movie, war, right? You will also be the American yeah. government funding movies that are literally just that. <laughs> that are also right, like right, the right, thing right, we just right, described right. didn't have to even be done. Yeah. <laughs> like, and the, listen, the American government still yes. does that. That's any Marvel movie. Well, any movie almost that, any movie practically that, that has portrays the U.S. Or, military yeah. at all. Uh, now has to, uh, you know, get permission from the U.S. military uh, to use. Yeah, I, uh, I'm never. It, it's all very. It weird. seems like if you want uh, any equipment, right? So it's like, which right. I mean, of course, means that like, I feel like someday they're going to. If you lose want their the ability to realistically just like get good enough at CG, that it's just like, is a dude maybe, sitting in a cardboard maybe. box and becomes a tank? That good enough? Yeah. You yeah. can only hope. I can dream. Essentially, what it, dream. what it essentially what it boils down to is, you know, in films of like this era in the U.S. and and even like in next week's film, we'll see. Um, a lot of the military stuff is just stock footage shot by the military, right? right? Uh, and essentially, the in the modern era, it's still that stock footage, but you let the director shoot it themselves on <laughs> with <laughs> with your equipment, right. and then you say, "Oh, by the way." Don't make us look bad, right. or you can't do. I also this. feel like maybe uh-huh. for a while there in filmmaking, there was just enough American Army bullshit just kicking around everywhere that you could like pick it up and like, oh well, we we can right. we can buy right. some right. surplus piece of garbage and I don't know, I don't know how it used to work, but I feel like at some point somebody was able to make movies that said bad things about the United States military. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure they still exist, uh, but yeah. Um, <laughs> Rossellini's making films for the fascist government. And there's there's a really great clip from one of the bonus features where they actually talk to Vittorio Mussolini, mm-hmm. um, who was still alive in the eighties, uh, bewilderingly. Um <laughs> you know. Listen, I don't I don't think Vittorio deserved the same end his father ended up in. Yeah, not I mean, uh, I, I but, don't know, who knows, but like he didn't it didn't happen one way or the other. He Right, right, right. Although his But yeah. it does seem like the guy was uh you know pretty much in charge of the propaganda department at least yeah. so uh yeah I, listen i don't need the entire mussolini to have been murdered right before the end of the war i do need uh and this is this is true of all the mussolinis that i know of i do need them to just shut up and go into hiding be ashamed of what yeah, you Yeah this guy is definitely and, not ashamed uh, yeah, but at the same and time, like, has interesting points to sister, make in his like, video, which yeah. is funny. Yeah, isn't his? I think I think there's some. She's on, I, I think it's like a cousin maybe, or something who's or, like in parliament. I don't know or, about yeah. that, but there's definitely yeah. like anyway, a person on just, Twitter who is because there's that oh, thing that goes yeah. around every so often, like where like somebody's like yeah, where she responds to like I think like Jim Carrey or something like that, and yes, then Jim yes, Carrey's like yes. shut the fuck up. I forget exactly how it goes, but every so often you see a screenshot of it floating around. And it's pretty good. Yeah. 
Um, anyway. Uh, <laughs> ah, the Mussolini. Yeah, I mean... Um, Vittorio did, did eventually die in 97, though. He is dead. So I guess we can... Uh, we can take solace in that. that <laughs> he died yes. of natural causes. Alessandra, Alessandra Mussolini is the one we're talking, we're thinking of, and she is a politician. Uh, That's that that particular one is wild to me. Like I understand that, like yeah. in some ways, it would be fun to you know. It, essentially, it would be unfair to exclude somebody just because of their personal like family lim- lineage. But boy, that's got to be a bit of a. I mean, that's a mind fuck. Right. 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 Yeah. Um. <laughs> hmm. Uh, so she's she's a member of the national right, of course. Um, unsurprisingly, also unsurprisingly, given all of the movies we've talked about, how corrupt Naples is, uh, she was elected out of Naples. out of Naples. So, uh, yeah. Anyway, enough about Alessandra. Her grandfather, Vittorio, uh, has a really great bit in uh, one of the bonus features on this where uh, someone asks him, uh, you know, all those, all these directors who worked under you, you know, they were, they were anti-fascists. They were communists. And his response is, is what? Like, yeah. no, they weren't. Yeah, his response <laughs> is basically like, he kind of like has this like sarcastic, oh, really? Like... They weren't yeah. when I was working with them. You know what I mean? It's like, right, and, and right, the implication right. being that they just went where the where the money was, right? Like, right, right. And you know, Rossellini wants to make movies, and he's going to make movies, and there are certainly people in other parts of Europe at this time, and probably people in Italy who really wanted to make movies, uh, so they left their home country. Uh, because they did not want to make movies for Hitler or for or yeah <laughs> Mussolini yeah. Uh, or for Franco or whatever. Um, but also, you know, Franco in particular, we do get the Franco government had a particular interest, like Vittorio, uh here, uh, in making artistic films that sort of showed off how how artistically free people in <laughs> in Spain were to make to make films like this, right? The Franco government had a particularly, much like the American government in the mid-century too, had, they wanted to exude an international brand of freedom right? Uh, through the art they allowed to be produced in their country. Um, so so I think part of that might be what, what Vittorio Mussolini is doing here, right? Um, but by the same turn, Someone in the documentary also says outright that he and Rossellini and Fellini made movies that convinced young people to join. The yeah, movie. yeah. I mean, it's, like, a, they it's made a, actual yeah, propaganda yeah, films. Yeah, they are. They were. There's especially a specifically one that is like a hardcore, like Navy propaganda film. It like, I think it doesn't. It even like. Atta- it like specifically attacks like the communists, and it's really like yeah, oh, almost certainly. It's not having seen it, I can't imagine that it doesn't. Right. So yeah, I mean, I just uh, remember like there's yeah. a, they show a scene in the documentary, I think, where it's like, oh yeah, there's that scene in one of the in the doc- in one of those bonus scenes where it's like talking about like what the communists are off doing in the hills or whatever to like 
innocent young people or something. It's like really very yeah. gross, like fucked up shit. So, right, right, right. So you know, on the one hand, Rossellini is mercenary. He is not always making propaganda films. He is just making films as best he can, and the first chance he has to make a movie completely outside of that system, uh, we get this. Right. Uh, right. So. Well, and then and what's, so there is what that. I found interesting from the documentary stuff is they kind of um I I don't know which one I watched that like had this information in it, but was talking about how even this one does represent like a lot of compromises that like right. they had an idea of specifically how I, maybe whether it's Rossellini or the other people he's working with wanted it to be extremely anti-fascist and then it got toned down yeah. in favor in response to the government's push for unity that we've seen in other countries uh similar sort right, of right right like, pushes for like oh well we need to we need to reincorporate the fascists back into our society it's like you do right uh and so the result is yeah. like well even some of the fascists were good and like and the i forget which one it was it was probably like um the one by tag gallagher the the that's i think for paisan yeah. that goes into the idea that like the things that are portrayed that are specifically those things are things that 100% never happened that that like right, that right, a lot right. of the things in this movie are direct representations of things that really did happen in both this and Paisan, but that like the priest not getting shot that's bullshit italian troops shot priests straight up executed it was right, not right, right. random gestapo well, people who walked up behind and like like blew their brains out it was regular well, it italians well it is it is actually kind of interesting that this particular priest whose whose story we're so heavily based off of here um 10 of the one dozen people charged with with the firing squad to kill him just fired directly into the air which is actually a thing that this movie changes because it suggests that they aren't necessarily making an active choice but that they're just dumb and accidentally shoot him in the legs in the way this movie is. Well, I mean, I think the the, the, like, the kids like, I think they're, I don't think the movie's trying to say that. I think the movie is, I yeah. think what you end up with is like, it's, it's trying to make the dis, the, the civil disobedience slightly less committed. Right. Cause you shoot up in the air. Like you're saying, no fuck off. Like right. I'm not doing this. Whereas yeah. if you shoot into the ground, right. it's, it's sort of a weird middle ground where you're like, well, I don't want to be the one who shoots the priest, but like, I do right, need to fire right. my gun, and I need to make it look somewhat plausible. But even though he's the one this is based off of, and not everybody shot, like other priests were shot, and they were shot by right. Italian Certainly. firing Certainly. squads. Like they're, they're, right, again, right, there is no right. German like making this happen. This is an Italian thing happening by Italians to Italians. Like, and that's the thing that like they the the, the documentary stretch uh, stresses is the idea that like the movie really wants to change the enemy to be the Nazis. When in reality, right. like the original sort of scripts of the movie were about the fascists and the Nazis as a as a coordinated effort, right? That like the fascists right. were part of the problem and not like right. like there was no good fascist in the original script and that, that got sort of changed to like soften things up in, in, in the in the search for unity. Yeah. And I think I think Rossellini particularly, and we'll see this moving forward through the rest of this series, certainly. Uh, Rossellini has a particular view of the Nazis as an ultimate evil and as an evil influence on the Italian fascists 
that that he sort of pathologizes all of Italy's problems onto the right. Nazis. And I can't say that that dissolves as quickly as it should, because I think in General Della Rovera, uh, if I remember correctly, while there are certainly more Italian fascists in that movie made in 1959 than in this movie... Uh, the fascists there are idiots. They're nincompoops. Well, right. Uh, yeah. Uh, even even the Nazis think that they're useless. Um, so, you know, it's not something that in that 15-year window, at least, um, Rossellini's opinion really changed. Uh, well, and, that, and, that, and that's right to say, sort of cheating, right? Like, I mean, not to be like, it's, right. it is, that's the easy way out, right? Is to be like, oh, well, we didn't yeah. do it. It was the Nazis that came in and poisoned our minds or whatever, right? And like, right, right, well, right, what was the right, first, right. what was the 20 years before that? Like, what what was right. that? Like, if it, like, it yeah. wasn't the Nazis doing that, that was you. Uh, but like, I think Rossellini doesn't, to a certain extent, there's a sort of a, per, like a personally held nationalism for Rossellini that prevents him from, sort of internalizing that idea uh, and, like, accepting the idea that the, I think that's the true. Italian fascists were the problem for Italy. Like, it wasn't the Nazis. Right. I mean, right. the Nazis certainly do become a problem later. Let's not, like, it's yeah. not like the Nazis are without fault in this regard, as in almost all, well, all regards that involve Nazis. Uh, yeah. I was trying to find a way to make a sentence I, that didn't work. But. I do not know enough to say whether whether things were worse off under just Mussolini yeah, or under Mussolini I don't either, and the Nazis. But I bet it wasn't good. Uh, but I bet it wasn't great. <laughs> yeah. Uh, so, so yeah. Yeah, originally this movie was meant to be two documentary shorts. One about the priest, Don Pietro Mor- uh, Morosini is his name, and one about the Roman children uh, as resistance fighters that we get tastes of in this movie um and it was Fellini who suggested making a single narrative film that covered both topics um Fellini I think had the right idea there no I, I agree <laughs> it, it's, it's, yeah Fellini Fellini's contribution to uh, this <laughs> and the next movie I think are actually kind of yeah. important with regards to some of that sort of stuff right. like I think without Fellini this would not there would be no like this start to Italian neorealism, you know what I mean? Like, it just, I don't think it would right, exist. Right, 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 Definitely. Yeah. And, you know, the even the non-professional actors are, are part of those material conditions too, right? You know, it's just not that famous actors didn't exist. In fact, well, we've we got two, a, two a famous actors widely this, known. like, for sure. Yeah. Famous, famous comedic actors taking surprising dramatic roles, but still. Yeah. So I think... <laughs> There's actually, I, I ran across it yesterday. Uh, every so often, there's a, there's a guy on Twitter um, who's, uh, whose username is like uh, John Frankensteiner or okay. something like that. Last night, they went through and reposted everything they'd ever posted from Orson Welles, complaining about different people, talking about different films. Uh, and one thing, Welles, the, the quote they have from Welles on Rossellini is calls Rossellini an amateur and says the only thing Rossellini movies prove is that uh, the acting talents of Italians are so innate that all you have to do to make a good movie in Italy is point a camera at someone. 
<laughs> which I do not agree with, though I love Orson Welles. No, Wells. no. I mean, Orson Welles is, was prone to hyperbole, to say the least. But uh, Right, right, right. And right, right. I, w- I would say there's, in this and the next one, there's a lot of pretty stilted acting that happens. Right, like, right, right. The, the, the hallmarks of these movies is not the amazing at final sort of acting results produced by um, amateurs to the point where it is kind of shocking to me that people kept running with that because these are like the only, I mean, there are some good non-actors in these movies, but like a lot of the non-actors are real bad in this movie, like really bad, like not at all convincing even a little bit. Yeah. And I find that to be, Um, unless you're Bresson, I feel like, and that's like literally what you want to happen. Uh, right. I feel like um, you know you're really in a weird. I, I don't. I don't. I don't get that part. I don't get it. In all the near realism that we've experienced, I don't understand. Like sometimes you luck out and it's fine and it's good, but like I feel like right. this like it's like a fifty percent like hit rate at best. And yeah. Then, like, the then stories it's just be of. Garbage. The stories we talk about of movies where it's super impressive that they use non-professional actors are always stories of when a non-professional actor did have that innate talent. Right. Like and then usually often Globes. went on to like make a billion more movies, yeah. right? Right, 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 right. Or alternatively, um, was harassed and harangued by the director to the point where like they might as well have been a professional <laughs> by the time they got done. Like the number of like quote unquote want to use non professional actor directors who mercilessly berated their their cast into basically like basically went put them through acting school in like the production. It's like but well at that point you could have just hired an actor to do that. But I think it all comes down to control. It all has like uh, we we've talked about this before. I think there's a well listen with Bresson we've particularly talked about this with Rossellini I think that's less true. Um, I think Rossellini, it's more, you're just, right, it's, this time at least, it's mostly material conditions. Like, well, who yeah. can we put in our movie? <laughs> How about that right, guy over right. there? The The country is sort of still in disrepair, and sure, I'm, I'm, I'm positive that the majority of uh, Italian actors he would have access to lived in Rome, and he would have access to them. You're but, not going to pay them. Uh, We're not paying. Like, right, right. I mean, he also didn't in have all the money, seriousness, right? like I mean, so, that's probably part of it, yeah. right? Is like you, I have no money to pay you to act in this film. Right. You're essentially working on like on a, a on like IOUs, right? Uh, yeah. And actually, it seems like the two lead actors that he got, uh, I don't remember their names. I can't remember the name of the actors at all. But the one that plays the priest. They, like one of the documentaries, I think it's against Tag Gallagher's one is like he's probably the reason the movie made any money in Italy. <laughs> it's like yeah, uh, um, that name carried a lot of weight. Aldo Fabrizi, who plays uh, Don Pietro, uh, is a widely recognized comedic actor. Uh, Anna Magnani uh, had previously in been like a comedic actress. Right? Um, yeah. Uh, but this is really what put her on the international map, certainly. Um, yeah, but but yeah, Don Don Pietro as a character and what he's doing. Um, if if the stuff in the documentaries and and we get some stuff from him on the bonus features too, uh, and if he's on the level, 
uh, some of the best moments in this movie are because of him. <laughs> like, I really love, like, like he convinces, he says he convinces uh, Fellini, or not Fellini, he convinces Rossellini that uh, it's okay to put some comedy right. in here. Uh, and, you know, then uh, to the point where I'm, I'm sure that his scene with the statues is like oh yeah for sure improvisation i wouldn't be surprised if a majority of the frying pan shit is like him to some extent or another right right. yeah and and magnani as as pina gets in her introduction um gets a very darkly humorous moment in the first bit too where uh the mailman says uh uh do you think the Americans even exist? Like, like they're hearing rumors that the Allies have landed in Sicily, right, and are moving up the up the country. And he's like, "Do you, do you think the Americans even exist?" And she just quietly looks at a bombed out building. <laughs> it's like, well, we've seen the effects of the right, Americans, yeah. Whether or not we've seen the Americans, um, but yeah. So you know, there's, and the humor is. I me. mean, I love I love that scene. I love every scene with with Don Pietro. But the scene with the statues it's where, very where he's got it's like so funny. It's like a statue of like Saint Saint Francis, I think. And and like a, a Venus de Milo or some some naked woman statue. And like he, he first he turns the naked woman away so he's not looking at it. Then he realizes that the that the Francis statue can still see it, so he turns the yeah, Francis statue funny. away. It's very good. And, uh, and the movie but it, it I mean <clears throat> it's really like I mean, if if all that is sort of made up by by him, like it just goes to show like how much of a strong sense of comedic timing he has. That like it's yes. really he's very good at cutting the knife or cutting the the tension, but then like um you know also makes really really good dramatic turns at the end of this movie. Like once he's yeah. like in the interrogation area and stuff, he's. His his dramatic act, both of their dramatic acting is really impressive. Um, it's right, got a certain right, level right. of melodrama to it that I like. Um, it it's not entire, you know what I mean? Like it's got just a little bit of an edge of being a little bit over the top, but I like that. You know, it, right. it's fun. It, it's nice in a movie where like really intense things are happening to have somebody like running absolutely screaming down the street. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, yeah. I, you. T- you talk about them being good at melodrama, and that's true. Uh, and I think it's very much true that this film is a, a wartime melodrama, uh, which is what bewilders me that you know the original Italian distributors of this film got it and were like, "This isn't a movie." Um, that's that's and, wild to me. And like, like I understand I, it doesn't look yeah. like a movie that you're used to, but like this is very clearly like a thing. <laughs> right. 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 And like, and like at the time, you got to understand. I'm sure. Yes, this looks more documentarian than than the average like narrative film that would have come out. But but to have a distributor not even take into consideration the fact that well, we had to shoot it that way and on that film stock because that's what's available. Uh, and if you want, if you want a movie to come out this year in Italy, right. you're gonna have to, you're gonna have to deal with that. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, the the complaints seem to be mostly style and structure, and like, 
this is a movie. This is just a wartime. Yeah, movie I mean, it, 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 Even it follows a lot of the, the tropes and everything. Like, yeah. it's just it is. You're right. Yeah. Like, um, I guess it's yeah. It's probably just like the it's probably like one of those things where they like they see the initial sort of just like they roll footage and it's like oh this is just not this doesn't look like what movies look like. Uh, right. Especially right, if right. you're used to to a higher production value during during the war. And then also like American films that you did get maybe earlier, the ones that have been censored or, or were considered appropriate, all look way more polished than this, right? Just in every right. way, right? Like the film stock's better. You you've got all the supplies you need to make something that looks nice. And this, this yeah. looks this doesn't we're we're used to this, right? Like you and I have become accustomed to this. This is a style and like look that we're used to. That people replicate even when they didn't have to anymore necessarily, and and so we've become accustomed to the idea like oh like yeah a black and white movie where like shit's kind of grainy and like the lighting is good but like very naturalistic and and you know sometimes you know things don't pop and then you compare that to like go watch a nineteen early nineteen forties Hollywood film they they might as well be in different universes visually right. Right, 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 right. Yeah, it's uh, <laughs> it's pretty, pretty crazy. Uh, I don't know. I just, I mean, no, I I, I agree. I, it is also. Crazy, I guess I am like... not. I am not a producer in Italy in 1944-1945 who thinks I've got to come up with something that is a normal movie. Uh, or people aren't going to react to it in this moment, right? You know, yeah, I mean... Who also wants to get back to normality post-war. And, of course, this movie is about getting back to normality. That's what we already talked about with, you know, this... In so, mu- in so many ways, Italy in World War II was also a civil war, right? Right. Because it's, we've got active partisans fighting the the fascists, and then the Nazis take over and they have a common enemy, yes, but... They're not. Mussolini's still killed in the streets, right? Uh, so, like you know, um, so uh, there is an aspect of this movie, as you said, that is sort of not even truth and reconciliation. Whatever the opposite of that is, just right. ignore. I mean, ignore it's the thing it that we see. It never that happened. The, it's essentially the see, thing that we see America impose on every nation that it took over right. during this this time period. Which is, all right, you 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 guys kiss and make up. The fascists are back in. Like right. they know how to govern. Yeah. Get them back in there. Let them go to. <laughs> right, let them do what right, they're good right, at. We want those right. trains running on time. Fuck it if you don't like the, you know, also they hate communists. So do we. We're good. This is great. Everything's fancy. Right. Dory here. Right. And like, and you know, that produces a very specific final result, which is we, as we know, like, oh, wow. It's weird how all these countries became fascist again <laughs> a little bit later. How'd that happen? <laughs> Crazy. Yeah. Oh, strange. Yeah. But yeah. like, right, legitimately, right, right. like the government, everything, the impression I got is that the American government pushed hard on, no, no, you guys are going to we're going to we're going to push unity. They, right. There's a kind of a weird sort of like in one of the documentaries there's like a weird sort of like well I mean Italy had been fascist for 20 years like we can't what are we going to do with the fascists? We got to bring them back into society. It's like by making a movie about how they were okay and 
it's fine yeah. and it's really plus, just for the Nazis. Plus, they're the only ones. They're the only ones who know how the bureaucracy works. So, if we want a functional government, we've got to put them back in charge. Yeah, yeah right? it's very. Um, I, it, yeah, it's you it's, know it's gross. We know it's, it's gross. Like, I. I feel like I know enough about Rossellini at this point to not put all of that onto the Americans. No, I agree. I, I uh, agree completely. Yes. I, I yeah. mean, he, whether or not he believed it right when the movie started getting made, he certainly comes to believe it by the time right, we right, make right. other movies. Like we, we've seen this before yeah. from him. So, yeah. So the ideology in as much as it's inherited from the Americans and as much as there are Italians who, who want that reunification uh, and to just sort of pretend the last 20 years didn't happen uh, obviously that doesn't work. And that's why we have the entire filmography of Pasolini, right? right? <laughs> so, like, you know, that's Pasolini's whole thing was pointing out that that's not working and we are we are a hair's breadth away from being full-on fascist again. Um, but, yeah. Brass tacks on this movie, though. There's a lot of really interesting stuff going on, and obviously it is it is shot and filmed in a way that shows that they did not have room to spare. Right. Uh, <laughs> right. But but it, like and everybody's it, and it, but it all works sort of to the advantage. In the end, the way they they leverage that into something that works very much to the advantage of the oh, film. Yeah. Right. It's very very good because there's a reason why people go on to copy a style that is no longer. Required right, right, by right, resources, right, right. but like they still want to make that movie, right? Like they still want it to feel yeah. like this. Um, I mean, and then you get into a really serious debate, and we will in future episodes. And now that I've seen this, it really feels like I almost like want to retroactively go back and think about films that we saw that were essentially cribbing this style later on in other countries and even in Italy, and talk about like what things did they keep and what things did they let go of from what is essentially this starting spot, right? Like, which thing... And yeah. so, like, how do you define Italian neorealism or neorealism in general if you're like, well, okay, we had to do all these things, but which ones did we let go of? Were they part of neorealism or were they not? You know what I mean? Like, why were they okay to let go, but why were other things we had to keep, you know? is a is a fascinating thing that I'm sure many people have written books about. I don't right, have to do right, it. Right, right, right. But I'm also not going to read yeah. those books, so that's fine. Yeah. I love how everyone's introduced in a way where we get, like, their defining char- character trait. Like, Marina is introduced in bed on the phone. Right. Right? Uh, and uh, Pina is introduced uh, in the raid on the bakery. Um, and the priest... Don Pietro is introduced uh shepherding children first around, off, basically, right? Shepherding children and then immediately interrupted shepherding children to go do his clandestine resistance work. Right. Um yeah, he's uh I mean in our resistance fighters are all like he's, introduced sneaking around. Uh right, I guess right, it, right, for, right. which is the the her Apina's future husband, I forget his name. I don't I should have I should be looking I, at the Wikipedia, but I'm not. Um uh Giorgino or Giorgio. Giorgio, right. yeah, okay. So like Giorgio is uh like he's, you know, introduced in this very like he's he's part of this resistance, but he also like is surrogate dad like, you know, soon to be adopted dad. Yeah. 
Uh, he's very like yeah active in the his adopted son's life. Yeah, you're right. Like they they we establish a lot of characters very very quickly and very uh, smoothly. Right. Yeah, and there's a lot of characters yeah. in here, so you know, and it all works out. Um, Ingrid gets introduced a little later, but. Uh, I mean, Ingrid's pretty flat as a character. Uh, yeah, I mean, <laughs> anyway, yeah, they, they do. The, the characters do flatten. There's certainly a, a sort of bell curve to the characters where they all sort of flatten out after a certain point. Yeah, that's actually Ingrid brings up something interesting, and uh, and Major Bergman, the the Nazi official, um, in what is perhaps the most fascist this movie gets. Uh, and certainly it is a fascism that is at odds with Nazism uh, in Rossellini's mind here. But Ingrid's definitely coded as a lesbian and Bergman's definitely coded as gay. Well, I mean, uh, Bergman's coded as gay also like, that's a that's an interesting one because the the actor himself is... Yes. noted like is noted in like documentaries about the movie as being an openly gay actor in Italy which is in itself a sort of shocking idea to think about honestly but yeah yeah <laughs> in fascist Italy yeah that's crazy um yeah so I don't know I obviously looking back from now uh I don't like that Rossellini is adding homosexuality as one of the crimes of the Nazis. Right, <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and it's, hard, uh, it's hard to say. Like, that one's really weirdly in a gray zone that's, like, hard to, like, pin down about whether or not that's... That one's a hard one to, like, definitively say. I, I would agree that that does seem to be happening, but... I I don't I would never also like definitively claim that it's like a theme of like the way things are designed in the movie because like yeah. the other Nazis are not actively like gay coded that's, that's so, fair like I, I I'm just saying like I don't it's yeah, hard but, it's hard to but okay. they are the leaders I it's really hard to, to call that is one way or the other that is fair but the only other Nazi we really hear speak for an extended amount of time more than just barking orders uh is a World War One vet who commits the, who uh, the crime of extreme historical revisionism. <laughs> yes, yes, just like intense historical revisionism. <laughs> even even more revisionism than everything Rossellini is doing with Italian fascists in this film uh, is this guy who talks about, who talks about World War One as if Germany were Nazis in World War One, and that uh, they that he personally learned his lesson about believing Germans were uh, the master race when the French member, members of the slave race, the French, uh, resisted and fought back. Yeah, it's, it's wild. Uh, it's, it, is, it, is, it is a fascinating thing to see a character written from their perspective of the way everybody in Europe and America sort of decided that, that World War I was like yeah. without any without I, any contextual data like right. it's like oh yeah no they were and, nazis the and, whole time 
Wait, what? <laughs> certainly, certainly that stuff had already started. Oh yeah, because for sure. like the the we did it before, we'll do it again stuff is all all about that. And like even think about Eisenstein and uh, uh, Ivan the Terrible. Uh, we get a uh, Stalinist Soviet film that tries to draw a parallel between. Uh, Germany of the time and historical Germany as an enemy we defeated in the past and we can do it again. Right. Right. And we see that. Um, yeah, we see that all over film and, and art yeah. of the time for sure. It's just, it's weird to make a Nazi character say it. Right. Like, to, right, to, to right, like, right, right, right. To say it as though it was a thing that is true. It, it's, it's a whole other thing when like it's the rhetoric coming from your side. It's a totally different thing when it's like, put into the mouth of the Nazi cam- like captain or whatever and it's like what is this guy saying like this like what what yeah. what, what, what are the words that are coming out of his mouth that make no sense I agree yeah um and then yeah he's he's an interesting little side character too not just for that Obviously, he's very drunk in that scene and in like the officers club or whatnot um but He's also the one who actually puts the bullet into the priest after after the firing squad can't can't be trusted to do it. Um so yeah, like even even this guy who recognizes all of the problems, uh while drunk in Vino Veratus, I guess, uh still still goes on and does the dirty work. Well, right? I think he's he is a kind of character archetype that you do see in other movies where it's like the person who's very well aware of the flaws and the rhetoric that they're enacting but just does it because it's just what they do. You know, I you see it right, in other right, war right. movies. Like it's not an uncommon thing where you got like this old vet who like knows that it's all all of it's bullshit but like hey it's the job i'm here to do it's what i get paid to do and i'm gonna do it um you see it in american war films too like it's just a, it's just right, a thing right. you see oh certainly and i don't know i don't ever know i'm not sure exactly depending on the film they fulfill different roles sort of depends on whether they're in your side or the other side kind of kind of thing it depends on what role they fill in a film but like it's, it's a repeating thing i am also very interested in this movie in the in the priest in this movie as presaging a lot of the same rhetoric that would uh, pop up in South American liberation theology coming from Catholics in like twenty or even forty years after this movie, right? Um, where where he talks about uh, anyone fighting for liberty and justice walks in the way of the Lord, um, and the ways of the Lord are infinite. Uh, that is. If this, if this movie were made today, and put those words into a priest's mouth in 1944, I would think it was being anachronistic. The fact that this movie is made in 1944 and is putting those words into a priest's mouth in 1944 uh, is kind of mind blowing to me. Right. Uh, that does, a thing though that I started to yeah. think. I agree. That is weird and like wild. Yeah. But a thing I thought about after, like, as I've thought and processed that that line more is if you take into account how hard unification and unity was stressed with regards yes. to like yes. you have to have the priest give an excuse that maybe right. no priest would actually give yeah like that post-war. is war like as soon as the war like we talked about like 
we've talked about this before and and the movie talks about this to a certain extent in a sort of as a part of their push for unity the idea that none of the 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 groups here outside of fighting the nazis would ever remotely want to would have any interest in working together with each other right and so your movie has to explain why they're all okay to like fight and die for each other right and yeah. so for the Catholic yeah. to do that, he has to espouse philosophy like philosophy that is pretty probably pretty antithetical to what any priest at <laughs> the time actually believed. Well well maybe not this particular priest, because this particular priest was in real life a a resistance fighter. Um but yes. Um you're right because on the on the unification end of the point of this movie, it is very much super textual even that uh even more so than than reintegrating fascists and pretending like they never did anything wrong is the church and the communists getting together right 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 yeah we we actively have a very catholic woman wanting to get married to a very very uh communist man who has no belief in the church whatsoever but they do decide to get a church wedding because he says i'd rather <laughs> i'd rather have a priest do it than a fascist at the at city hall or whatever which is very good um yeah very specifically a, a, yeah uh than a nazi right like it, it, right, it, it's right. they got to keep bringing in that particular part of the rhetoric is it's right, like it's right, not right, 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 like right, the right. fascist maybe would be it's not fine, just the, but like it's the it's the nazis yeah, that are the, but the nazis the nazis are the bad guys yeah um, and of course, you know, this is their story of true sacrificial love and, uh, the man in question is, is stepping into the role of father wholeheartedly to, to this woman's son, uh, and blending that family together. And, uh, they're doing all these good things and they are fighting together for what is right. And she dies because of the Nazis. Um, and what in, is one of the yeah, most dramatic yeah, scenes of the movie? Like straight up is really yeah, like absolutely pretty is very 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 intense. Like it is, yeah, overwhelmingly so. And we get yeah overwhelmingly so, and uh, and manages to still be overwhelmingly so even as uh, I think on second viewing, I get a little more eye rolly. At some of it, it, too. it, it is. Uh, it is when it gets. Is one of the times in which the movie hits like really peak melodrama, but when when the priest comes to her body and does the Pietra pose, uh, with holding it's her a bit up much, yes. and in the same as yeah, but as but Michelangelo's even the second of time, Mary holding Jesus's body, but yeah. even the second viewing. The sudden intensity with which she is shot down is really oh yeah like, yeah, yeah, yeah it's it's unnerving right like you do not I yeah. know it's coming and I still can't really say I expect it to happen because right you know movies oftentimes give you a setup to the idea that a character is going to be shot right like they give you a moment to cognitively process the idea that like somebody pulls a gun somebody draws their gun they they do something that tells you the audience like look. This person's about to be killed. You need to sort of mentally brace right. yourself for that. We don't even see who fires the Particularly, gun. She's just yeah. you just hear the pop and she drops. And it's like, wow, that's really right. scary. It makes it really, really yeah. scary. Right. Particularly, I think, even scarier just because of 
the scene we get directly before that is the priest and the old man. Yeah, yeah, it really uh, heightens it. Yeah, absolutely. Where where it is, it is a dramatic tensioned scene because the priest is interacting with this man as Nazis are coming up the stairs, uh, and if they're found out together. Uh, plus the priest is doing that very slapsticky thing of hiding the weapons right. in this guy's bed too, right? Uh, and this guy wakes up and thinks the priest's there to give him his last rites, and it's insistent that he's not dying, and that's all very funny. And then we get this cutaway gag of of the priest saying, oh, I know how to shut him up. <laughs> and then when we get back after the Nazis have left, it's revealed that he's he's hit him over the head with, right. the, with the pan. Uh and then is afraid he's actually dead, and we get we get uh, even more tension breaking comedy of the priest trying to wake him up. Um, and then we go outside. and we get a really <laughs> hard penis, tonal shift. penis shot in the back. Yeah, yeah, it's really yeah. bad. It's like, and it's not bad in the sense that like it's just it's very you're, you you. There's no way you can be prepared for it. It's just it's impossible right, because you. Right you have to take each scene one at a time and like the scene before you really put you in a specific frame of mind that like there's a certain lightheartedness to this whole thing that like they're all going to be fine like everybody's going to be okay like they're going right. to win they're going to beat the nazis and everybody's going to be okay like and the movie hasn't really broken in the sense yet to let you know like no 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 nobody's going to be okay <laughs> this right. is not this is not going to go well i mean like maybe Giorgio, like Giorgio, like maybe gets back to the his adopted son later. Maybe he doesn't get arrested, but like, well, that's not Giorgio. That's uh, sorry. That's, uh, no, I get so confused. Which one is? Yeah, Francesco. Francesco is that. I get so boyfriend. confused about which one. Like, they're, like uh, the names of all. Yeah. Like whoever the adopted father is. Is the only one who yes, gets Francesco. away from the um, Francesco, the Nazis, like roundup. Right. Yeah, but also sort of disappears in the last reel of the movie too. I assume that's a, um, a, a commodity thing of a, a uh, like, hey, look, like, right, right, right. He gets away. <laughs> we didn't. have to assume he gets away. We've killed. We kill literally everyone else. Right. Like we, we, we full on. We full on yes. Greek tragedy our way through the rest of this movie. Like everybody else is dead. Yes. So we are forced to assume that people who don't Giorgio, die live. Right, Giorgio is the one who is tortured. Right, to death okay. With, yeah, I, I got them turned around with a blowtorch, and I'm just <laughs> one. Given the budget of this movie, I don't know how they actually did that, because uh, we see we see after the torch is blown, <laughs> pulled away, flames on skin. Right. Uh, <laughs> I think I'm thinking like some just... lighter fluid and like really fast cut. Right, like... right, right, right. I hope cut. Right. Put it out. Yeah. Yeah. Um but yeah. Uh that seems also interesting in that I think I think in a way with that particular scene it is it is one of the moments in this film where Rossellini is pushing back against that idea of reunification kind Maybe. of in a way. Not that he draws parallel. Not that he. Not that he makes a is actively making any sort of point that it's this is the fascists doing this. It's still the Nazis doing it, but it is a moment where, with the Nazi, with with Bergman forcing the priest to watch, 
mirroring in Rossellini forcing us as the audience to watch. It is very much an overt, understand this is what happened. Understand this is a real thing and internalize it and don't ignore it. Yeah, Um, yeah. I mean, but again, it's being enacted by a Nazi. Right, right, right. Who we already know are the bad guys. Like right. we don't, we um, don't even get our, our traitor. Like the person who commit, who like turns, uh, um, turns uh, Giorgio's like everybody in. Yeah, like yeah. the 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 the, the uh, what's her name Ingrid, isn't even Italian. You know what I mean? And I think that's a. I right. I would argue that that's one of the strongest indicators that this is about unity is the fact that in a lot of movies that would also be a a collaborator like would not be a german who's been imported Um, because it would make more sense right like why did i I mean yes um like uh oh i forget uh i forgot everybody marina was it maria marina 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 like with an n marina has become a drag addict but like it makes a lot more sense, actually. If you were going to write this movie, it makes a lot more sense that the person who convinces her, who gets her hooked, and the person who she's befriended would be another Italian. And not right. some the most obviously evil German woman in the history of mankind. <laughs> right, right. I mean, right. like, she's just, like, she's just Cruella Deville coated. Like, I mean, it's like, there's like, yeah. there's furs, no, there's like not- black island. It's really intense. One hundred percent would not be surprised if Cruella Deville is stylistically based on. Uh, yeah, Ingrid. yeah. I mean, it's you know she's bad news from literally the minute you see her come on the screen. You're like, oh, this is a bad guy. Yeah. Like to the point where she's in direct competition with people in Nazi uniforms, Adam. Like in like in terms of right. like who is easiest to recognize as evil when they walk through the, the door. Like you see, you see her when she walks into that into the dressing room, and you're like, or yeah, first day encounters Ingrid, and you're like, or yeah. uh, encounters Marina, and you're like, this is a bad guy. Like I don't have to know anything right. about her. This is a bad guy. Before she even pulls out the yeah. drugs, no, you're like, we oh, know she's this is a bad, bad guy. guy. And you're like already, right. oh, I bet she's dealing. I bet she's got her hooked up. You know what I mean? You just know, a hundred percent. And it's like, wow. Like I mean, in any in a lot of films that would come that come later in this in this vein, that is a an Italian collaborator or a French collaborator or something. Right. Because it just makes right, more right, sense. Right. Like, why would you, why would you let yourself get hooked? I mean, of course, like, I mean, I, I say that very rhetorically, right? Like, things happen. But, like, in a movie, it just makes more sense. It does, it's, yeah. But in this one, you're like, oh, no, 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 that person right. has to be German. <laughs> like, for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, and that makes me think to the point where you're dubbing your actress with a German actress's voice. Like, right, right. You know, that's that's a lot. That makes me think more metatextually about the movie, and I think you know we have our own personal issues with Melville as like a director, mm-hmm. but like Melville is in Paris. And is not just, you know, they're actively making resistance movies while the Nazis are still in charge. Right. Whereas Rossellini, not only do they wait till the Nazis leave to make this movie, but Rossellini is actively engaging with the the Italian fascists 
film. And I don't know. I just. Well, I mean, yeah, I know. And that's always going to like for you I and me, that is always. And I think for certain groups of people, that's always going to leave a bad taste in their mouth. Right. Like. Yeah. It's always going to feel like right. if the fascists came in back into power, would you have just started making movies for the fascists again? Like, you right. you bet your ass you would have. Like, you know, is what you is your like, right. and and it goes to that. It's uncomfortable to credit uh, Victoria Mussolini with this with being right, <laughs> right. about something, right. but like, yeah, they weren't they weren't they weren't communists and anti-fascists yeah. when I was working with them. Is a is a valid point to make. And Vittoro says in the introduction to that section, he says uh, Rossellini was neither fascist nor anti-fascist. He does recognize that that Rossellini was not in favor of what they were doing, but in not in not acting against it or running or whatever. You know, there's no stories about Rossellini being a secret resistance fighter. Yeah, and they don't <laughs> exist because they, they didn't uh, happen, right? Like they just they don't exist. Yeah. 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 Not not ha- not a thing, right? Uh, you know, and uh, different times, different place. Uh, well, not different times, but different place, <laughs> different experiences in what in the political structure. Um, you know, the French, the French were in a different position to be able to do that, right? Um, if if nothing else. You know, the French had access to equipment uh, outside the government, uh, whereas Rossellini did not have access. And Rossellini couldn't have made a guerrilla film because they couldn't. Have, they they wouldn't have had a camera, right, or whatever. Um, yeah, I mean that's true. But, but like yeah. I, you know, I there is, I like I we we cannot we 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 run into a really serious problem whenever we get into this position where like you know we're casting. We might be casting aspersions about like a situation. Obviously, we can't understand like fully. Right, right, right. And right. like, but you get into this really weird thing where like anybody who's making art and then they're making art for like, it gets real weird. Like it gets very uncomfortable. Right. Like it's, it's one of the most sort of complicated needles to thread because like, in your heart you're like, well, yeah, but like you made movies for fascists, like. Like right. You did a real bad and, thing. Like, what defines the difference between you and Riefenstahl or somebody like that? Like, who, like, we, we, yeah. we identify as purely, like, working in favor of sort of evil propaganda. Like, you know what I mean? It's like, I don't know how, it, yeah. that's hard to do. And, like, my sort of net result is, like, well, I can, it goes along the way that a lot of people deal with, um, directors or actors that they find out are prob- have like problematic histories with regards to their cast or something. A thing I choose to- typically not to engage with, I try to just end up, I personally just feel like, oh, well, I'm just not going to, in general, we're not going to watch things by this director anymore. But since, you know, we're right. compelled to do that in these scenarios for sure, I end up having to adopt the policy of like, well, I can admire like the movie that was produced and also kind of view this person with a little bit of derision like that's okay like yeah maybe like he didn't have a choice i get that he needed to get paid but like it's really hard to know because like did he have other options in his life that didn't involve actively producing propaganda for the fascist government you know what i mean like yeah it it, it's not like it's not like 
And like maybe he didn't, right? Like I mean, maybe it was like, well, this is the only job I even remotely qualified for, or something like that. Okay, like I see what your argument there is. Like, you do need to eat food and things like that. And I understand, but I don't know. It's it's very complicated. And I I hate yeah. having to think about it honestly. Right, right. And I think about Ozu, you know, who we see even under American occupation, he's making subtly critiquing films um, of American occupation. But what did Ozu during the war do during the war? Yeah. Japan's maybe an interesting different thing because the I don't think the film industry was ever nationalized in Japan. Right. But it, I mean, it was uh, controlled by I mean, it was it, not nationalized in like an official sense, but like very much you 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 towed the line or you got the fuck out. Like, right, 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 right. Like. Ozu so, made films you know. during the war, like straight up. And almost every right. Japanese director we encounter made movie films during the war. Yeah. Like they never stopped. I mean, it is it's hard to process, right? Because like that being said, like every director in Japanese history made fifteen fucking films a year. Like <laughs> right, they're not getting right, paid right, enough right. to not make a film to skip a year, right? Like or even to skip yeah. To not make ten in the year, right? I will, I will push back a little bit because the vast majority of Japanese directors we've encountered didn't make films during the war because they were too busy being drafted. This is tr- okay. You're right. Uh, well, but a, a fairly not so Ozu, not, Ozu I, exists in that generation where he where he is, could have been making films during the war right. and was because he he is older. But that that is not an insignificant number yeah. of directors. It is it right. is not it is more than one that made films during the war. Um, and like, I don't know what those films are like. We have not watched. We, I don't know that we will ever watch any of them. Uh, like, yeah. I don't think anybody has any regard for any of Japan's, uh, like Japan's film production mid war. Like, I don't think any of it's considered high art to the point where like, I don't think, I mean, I, I could definitely be wrong with this. this is not an area of expertise for me, but like, I don't think people could look back and like, oh, this is, this is a, despite the it being more propaganda, <laughs> right. this is a classic. Okay, this is really delightful about Ozu, actually. In 1943, Ozu was drafted into the army for the purpose of making propaganda films in Burma, but they sent him to Singapore instead to make a documentary called Tadeli Tadeli uh, about uh, Chandra Bulls. Um yeah, Chandra Bulls, um, who was an Indian nationalist. Describing Ozu in Burma, uh, or, or in Singapore, rather, since he didn't actually go to Burma, uh, Wikipedia says he had little inclination to work and spent an entire year reading, playing tennis, and watching American films provided by the American Information Corps, uh, particularly impressed by Citizen Kane. Um, yeah, I think. in fact, I think we've yeah. read that quote on air before. <laughs> Right, yeah, right, and right, I mean, right, the thing right, we probably. get into is, and, and a lot of the, it's really, like, it does always yeah. sort of feel like each each film industry is its own animal. Right. Ozu, Ozu in 45, Ozu destroyed the script and every, every bit of extant footage of that film. Uh, he hadn't finished it yet, and he, he burned it. Uh, so he dra- Ozu dragged his feet. The one time he was hired to actually make a specifically a propaganda, propaganda film. film, Ozu dragged his feet until the end of the war and then destroyed it. 
Uh, so I don't know. Listen, I don't want to get bogged down. But on also what other keep people in mind did. what we regard as complicated. the war with regards to Japan is <laughs> right. a very different animal than what almost all of East Asia would regard as like Japan's right, fascist right, right, regime right, right. is much, much yes. longer Ozu, than what Americans. Ozu consider. was making movies before 1943. Yes, exactly. And uh, so immediately before and like, 43 and since 39. Yeah. So like, you know, he's he's in the window. And, um, and most certainly you could not get a film made that did not meet approval. Of the Japanese right, government, right, right, like, right. Let's right. be very clear here. Yeah, uh, and like the the what defines the difference sort of here is the fact that like in the Italian industry, that the person making those decisions is literally the son of the fucking fascist boss. Right, 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 the, right, 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 right. In the right, Japanese right. one, and even the German one, you're talking about an entire bureaucratic bureaucratic sort of like system that you're operating within. And we hear about directors in. We I think we even like. Maybe, like, there was even a German director who snuck, like, weirdly semi, like, I feel like we've at least talked about this once, who snuck, like, like very confusing critiques into, like, or something like that. I feel like we've had this conversation before about uh, some German director. Maybe it was a French director. I don't know. But I feel like we we had this conversation about a German director one time. About, like, wait, wait, is that a... Like fashion, like commentary on fascism. Wait, what? Wait, what's what is this movie? Right, right, um, right, right. And like, that's the thing, right? It def- it's a it's singularly defined by like how big that industry is and how much it's like hands on control. Like, I mean, Germany had a propaganda ministry that approved films. Japan had a propaganda ministry that approved films. Uh, the propaganda ministry in Italy was the was just the son of. The guy who runs the country. Right. It just feels different. I right. don't know how to explain right. it. That's fair. Yeah. Like you're literally working I, for the boss's son. It's just, it's, I don't know. Right. I neither want to do extra work to condemn Rossellini, no. especially since immediately after we get this, which is so clearly meant to be an apology. <laughs> To me, well, I mean, it's meant know? to be I, again. Uh, like, it's really hard to like. There, it is meant to be some other things, but I think one thing it is meant to be is to come out swinging, as uh, there are no more. <laughs> there are no. <laughs> I've got no strings on me. <laughs> way, um, that is not to say that Rossellini's opinion of the current state of Italy in 1945 was good. Uh, because, like I said, he pathologizes all of Italy's problems onto the Nazis, and that is part of this movie too. Uh, so there are there are definitely issues, but I do think that very much what is happening here is uh, is a response to the position he's put himself in for the last, you know, ten years. Or whatever. Since yeah, I mean, I can definitely say that argument. I, I, I'm, I am less convinced of that, considering like what the film goes through to get approved. And it, it, like, not to say that like there's anything you can do about that per se, right? Like, you want to make this movie, like you're gonna have to make those compromises. But like, you know, I don't, I don't know. Like, if you are, if you are, essentially producing Italian fascist apologia, like. That's that's what I mean. That's still that's, working for for Toro Mussolini. That's a fair point. Like, you know what I mean? You're still working for him because you're actively rehabilitating him in yeah. the first movie you make 
right out of the gate. Well, he wasn't right. so bad. It was really the Nazis. Right. This is a movie that doesn't even mention Mussolini. No, it doesn't exist. Yeah. That's old news. Like, how yeah. do we? Where did all those Italian fascists come from? Who knows? Maybe the Nazis made them. <laughs> and where did they go? Who cares? Wait, uh, why are they running the post office? What the fuck? Because <laughs> they're the only ones who know. They're how the only that. ones who know how trains work. Apparently, I really like this movie. I, I do too. I like. I complain about things about it, but in in the end, the movie right. is a good movie that I enjoy watching. I've watched it twice yeah. now. And while I did watch the second time on hyperspeed, which my son thought was very funny, <laughs> like listening sure. to Italian sure. at double speed. Let's not, let's not pretend that. Let's not pretend that counts as watching it. I, I mean, I was, watched the whole. I mean, I watched and read every word that appeared on screen. I, I did I not. Okay. I did not shirk my duties. I did realize that, like, okay, you have seen this. You actually know everything that's going to happen. You do need to be able to intelligently talk about it so maybe you don't need to get the subtleties right. of it that you would get out of a slow a normal speed watch but i read every word that showed up on the screen uh yeah so. uh, well before we draw this to a close i do want to mention the best character in the movie who we haven't talked about okay. yet who's the best character in the movie uh, the old woman oh yeah uh, oh the old Georgios woman Landlord. oh yeah uh she's got maybe and and she's like one of the non-professional actors who maybe is right. She's right. one of those diamonds in the rough that like maybe think makes you think to yourself like, Oh, well, non-professional actors are great. But I think yeah. the requirement there can, is you have to be old enough to not give a flying fuck anymore. Right. I, I can imagine a world where this woman is actually actively playing herself yeah. and just yeah, totally. redoing things she had already done. Uh, like when, <laughs> when, the, when the Nazis on the phone with, with, uh, 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 oh goodness, Marina, I think is who calls in, and and he answers, and uh, and he he hangs up and looks at the landlord and says, "Who is that woman?" And she's like, what? "How how could I know? I didn't see her." Yeah, yeah, like, it's so good. And then, and she absolutely knows who it was. Um, and then later when she's herself on the phone with Marina and Marina's asking her all sorts of questions about war, where Giorgino is and, and she hangs on like this that woman's going to get us all killed yeah. uh, why you know they're listening why are you talking right about yeah this like it's uh, it's really amazing and like like both of them are good but like you can kind of feel like you know how there's that that there's that sort of may, maybe it's apocryphal maybe it's not about the the streetcar where the the regular German, like the train right, conductor, right. when they're loading the, the priests and everybody into the car, the train car stops and like a guy pulls a gun on the crew because he's like, hey, wait a minute. Why are those Nazis kidnapping that priest and that guy? Right. right and they had right. to be like, they had um, to like, that stop is, him. Yeah. That's a story told by Aldo Fabrizi about shooting that scene that he was scared to death because they were shooting that scene where everybody gets arrested by the Nazis and and some random guy on the street pulled a gun on them uh, thinking that he was saving people from being arrested by the Nazis. And like what it makes me think uh, is if you take that if you use that as context for the old older woman like the landlady what you start to think is like maybe yeah. just the f sheer fact of having a dude in a Nazi uniform in her house or in in her presence was yeah. like she just immediately got super, like, right. scornful. Like, it's all real. It's just her exact feeling I, coded onto screen of, yeah. like, 
Well, like, fuck this guy. Like, Listen. you, you could like, what, what, like, I'm not going to give you any information. I'm not going to help you in any regard. I fucking hate you. <laughs> whatever, whatever else this movie might be doing on rehabilitating fascists, uh, regardless, Italy and Rome, particularly here, have just gone through a massive traumatic event, and now they are reenacting that trauma. Uh for a movie at a time where all of these people would have understood for a movie as me to mean for entertainment right within a year and yeah it's and like man, i mean i, I guess don't know maybe, if i could do it yeah so. no i don't think like, it's it's hard to believe i mean like literally one of the guys playing a resistance fighter is just a former resistance fighter right like it's like a former former partisan like uh i forget which character I mean, it is but they like like because um I think it's in the tag gallagher thing he like goes through and is like this guy was a was a resistance fighter this guy was the this person was this this person was this this was this person was his fucking lawyer uh right and like which is very funny to me because he also plays a, a mealy mouth piece, piece of shit right right which right, is very right, funny right, to right. me but like as just a, as a side note that like the police is is played by the the, the director's lawyer but i i don't know that's very funny to me for some reason uh feels like it must be a commentary but um (laughs) yeah but like in all seriousness like there are people and like in some ways i guess that's sort of to a certain extent the dream of the the non-professional actor situation is like well we can tap into real human emotions here and sometimes it works real well and then sometimes you know you get some really stilted line deliveries right 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 yeah um we've also barely talked about the kids uh who as one of the one of the uh one of the impetuses of making this movie was to make a documentary about the kid resistance fighters. <laughs> well, it becomes a much of it becomes a very like, it's, but it comes yeah, a bit yeah. of a, a, a borderline it ends on them. It does right. end on them, and they do feature a couple times, somewhat importantly, but it does right. seem like they become a, a side story at best, right? Like, right, right, right. Like they're not really that important. You could make the entire movie without them, and the movie would be mostly the same. Yeah, with only a few minor changes. I do, I do like how it ends in sort of a four hundred blows way of you know the the problems of possibility of the kids, right? Yeah, yeah. Um, I mean, it 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 definitely like it definitely has a sort of like the kids are our future sort of like vibe right, to right, it at right. the end there. Uh, the children are watching. Uh, unfortunately, um, I think. I think Rossellini's respect for the kids in this one uh, sort of really cements uh, his belief about Nazism being an all-consuming evil uh, in how Germany Year Zero plays out. Uh, I've already watched it. I have not watched it. I uh, watched the synopsis of it because it was part of some of the documentary stuff that I watched. Right, 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 right. Yeah, my my impression Uh, is is exactly what you're describing. We'll We'll talk more about that as we move forward. Uh, but that's two weeks from now. Payson is next week from 1946. Look forward to talking about that as we continue to move through the three and the war trilogy from Roberto Rossellini box set. This week it was Rome Open City from 1945. Thank you so much for listening to Lost and Criterion. I'm as always the Adam Glass. With me as always, John Patrick Ovitari Dorgan, and we'll see you next time. Bye. Bye. Bye.